Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Condensed Histories, the podcast that takes pop culture and reveals the real history underneath it. I'm your host, Jem Daduchu, and what we're doing this time round is Gladiator. My name is Gladiator. Which means I get to talk about a very good film. I also get a chance to talk to you about Roman history and some things we know and some things we just don't, leading to decade-long arguments over some very minor details about Roman life. So if this sounds interesting, boy, have I got a good one this time round, because it's a really good movie. My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius, commander of the armies of the north, general of the Felix Legions, loyal servant to the true emperor, Marcus Aurelius, father to a murdered son, husband to a murdered wife, I will have my vengeance in this life or the next. So, where to start? Ridley Scott. Ridley Scott is a British film director who started in commercials. If you are British and you are old like me, then you might remember in the 1970s the classic Hovis commercials with that brass trumpet playing, kind of almost soulful or sorrowful and this little boy walking around Yorkshire talking about the good old days, basically. Yeah, a lot of those were directed by Ridley Scott. Then, his first feature film was The Duelists, which was a really interesting film about a couple of people who dueled during the Napoleonic Wars. So his very first movie was a historical piece. The Duelist demands satisfaction. Honor for him is an appetite, an obsession to kill. No apology is accepted, no quarter given. And he kept coming back to history again and again in his career. His second movie was Alien, which is a genre-era-defining horror sci-fi. Then he followed it up with Blade Runner, which is pretty impressive, although didn't do particularly well at the box office. Obviously, again, seen as a sort of genre-defining cyberpunk sci-fi Neo-noir. Start sticking in various words if you want. There's a very good word. It's supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. He's also been less successful with other things like 
1492, which is the story of Christopher Columbus. It's beautifully shot, but it's a bit of a mess of a movie. You've also got White Squall. National Weather Service says white squalls are meteorological phenomenon of the imagination. What do you say to that? Yeah, nobody remembers that one. But you've also got Thelma and Louise. So he comes up with great ones. He comes up with less good ones. They're always, always gorgeous. His actual background is graphic design. And so this actually has a direct impact on, on Gladiator. But what we have to also look at is Gladiator came out in the year 2000 which means it was basically filmed in 1999. 1999 was the year of the Phantom Menace and the Matrix, and really there hadn't been a sword and sandals Romany type epic since basically the 1960s, you know, the likes of Cleopatra and Spartacus. I'm Spartacus! I'm Spartacus! I'm Spartacus! Yes, there'd been other historical movies. I'm thinking in the 1980s, though, they were deliberately picking different cultures, like The Last Emperor, about the end of the Chinese imperial dynasty, or Gandhi, for example. So yes, historical movies were coming out. You could argue that in the 1980s, the hot bit of history was Vietnam, but obviously that's a very different type of film too. The sort of sprawling epics of like the, the fall of the Roman Empire and the robe and Ben-Hur. You know, those are just very different history movies to what was being produced in the 1980s. And really, by the 1990s, unless we're talking about a few cowboy films like The Unforgiven, it just wasn't a thing anymore. However, I've also already done an episode, and I mentioned this in passing. 2004, we get Troy, done a whole episode on the Trojan myth if you like. The reason why that film got greenlit was because Gladiator was such a hit. You also got movies like 300 and a number of other sort of semi-mythological or at least ancient historical type movies coming out because Gladiator was such an unexpected hit. It stars Russell Crowe, indeed nominated for an Oscar for his role as Maximus. My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius. But the point is, Russell Crowe had already been seen as a hot property. L.A. Confidential is a film that kind of everybody's forgotten about. It's, it's not really in the general conversation. Great, great film. He'd been in other good stuff. He was going to be in more good stuff after this. But Russell Crowe didn't quite have the same box office cachet, shall we say, of the likes of, well, in the year 2000, we could talk about Tom Cruise, that man's had a very long career, or Will Smith and other big names. Russell Crowe was seen more as this generation's Robert De Niro. Very well regarded in terms of acting ability, but can he open a hundred million dollar movie and get bums on seats? And the answer was yes. So really, what Gladiator is more than anything else, it's one of these things where I'm pretty sure most of you have seen it. If you haven't seen it, watch it immediately. But if you have seen it, you probably haven't seen it for quite some time. And this was the thing for me. I think I've made this passing comment before, but over the summer, my nephew came over. He's a sort of teenager now, and I had the pleasure of looking after him. We sort of like here with part of the family. We went out with one of my sons and sort of like did fun things, to teenagery things together. But every evening he was here, I showed him a movie that I know his parents, my sister included, 
wouldn't necessarily to think to show him and seeing he's basically in a house full of women he could do with some other stuff although my sister did say saying look if you're going to show him some macho action movies don't make them misogynistic i would you know i'm a strong feminist and i would very much like him to see strong female characters so how about this for four movies that he got to see that he'd never seen before he got to see, and it was in this order, Aliens, very strong female characters in that. Then we've got Gladiator. Yeah, there's a key female role in that, but it's not exactly a feminist essay on the strength of women. Then we had Mad Max Fury Road, again, quite a strong feminist thing. And, and then finally, Interstellar. So the last one was actually my wife's choice, which he absolutely loved because he's got a bit of a science angle basically in his interest so he probably liked interstellar more than the other ones but in his own words he goes yes interstellar scratched that itch more for me gem but i absolutely loved those other three movies imagine seeing those four films for the first time night after night can we all agree i am a good uncle and i showed him quite a good time chris honey are you, are you having a good time yeah oh good chris is having a good time but sitting there watching gladiator again I was just sitting there going, man, there is just nothing wrong with this movie. The special effects and CGI is more than 20 years old. And whereas you can now spot some of it, it doesn't ruin the movie, as it were. And you also have the quote in the movie, which becomes the poster, which is the general who became a slave, the slave who became a gladiator a gladiator who defied an emperor. Three very short sentences summarizing a two-hour movie. Brilliant, brilliant bit of marketing there. I'm also hoping that Greg is going to go out of his way on this one in terms of the sound bites and things like that. And hopefully we'll check that you are entertained. Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? <laughs> the thing about Gladiator is, I've already pointed out people like you know, Ridley Scott, Joaquin Phoenix, and obviously Russell Crowe as well, and Hans Zimmer doing the music. All of them have done other great things. But in this one, everybody is bringing their A game. You've obviously got Oliver Reed in his last ever role. The young emperor has arranged a series of spectacles to commemorate his father, Marcus Aurelius. I find that amusing since it was Marcus Aurelius, the wise, the all-knowing Marcus Aurelius that closed us down. Apparently, because he, uh, I went to Malta a few years after Gladiator, and they had a whole area sort of like promoting Gladiator, but I walked past the bar where he died, and they seemed, I'm going to say, kind of proud. Let's face it, Oliver Reed had many demons with alcohol, and he had drunk himself into oblivion on many, many occasions, but that was the bar he finally went too far. Apparently, Joaquin Phoenix was so stressed about working with these, you know, like Richard Harris and Oliver Reed, knowing that their pedigrees, knowing their acting chops, and also knowing that they could certainly drink. Apparently, those two set him at ease by just taking him to a bar and getting him drunk. So there are lots of legendary stories around this. Oliver Reed, because he passed away, there are certain scenes where they had to use a body double and like carefully edit in some other stuff. And he was, Proximo is the name of his character. Proximo was meant to survive the whole story. Indeed, at one version of it, he was meant to perhaps do a voiceover of the whole thing, like he's telling the story of this brave gladiator. And at the end, he sort of like finishes off walking into the sunset. 
but because he died, they give him a proper send-off, an epic Oliver Reed death in this movie. I wasn't the best because I killed quickly. I was the best because the crowd loved me. But it means that you've got the best Dumbledore here. And, you know, it's such a shame that Richard Harris didn't make it to the end of the Harry Potter movies, because as good as Michael Gambon is, first of all, Richard Harris looks a lot more like the way Dumbledore's described. And secondly, even as Marcus Aurelius, you can see this sort of patriarchal, paternal kind of sort of soft, thoughtful individual. The happiest man on earth would look into the mirror and see only himself exactly as he is. More on the history stuff, as always, later on in the podcast. But first things first, let's talk about the movie. The other thing is, I basically, a friend of a friend, well, two friends of a friend, worked on this film. They were extras. And I encourage you to, to think about this if you watch the opening battle scene. This is one of the rare things where it's, it's a little bit like Empire Strikes Back. The big action... You know, the, the most impressive actions right at the beginning, the at-at attack on, on Hoth, is just an epic moment of cinema. And this, the Roman army in its prime fighting the barbarian hordes is also the biggest action set piece of this entire movie. Now, please, I'm not saying that the rest of the gladiatorial action isn't exciting, but obviously it's a little bit more personal. It's a little bit smaller, even if they are in the beating heart of the Colosseum. But the thing is... Basically, one of these guys I know ended up becoming a Roman soldier in this. It was filmed in England, by the way. It was not in, in Germany. And one of them was a barbarian. And the barbarian guy, they sort of like dressed him up in some leathers and things like that. And there was, as they were sort of working out his costume. And then they started flicking mud on him. And he goes, why are you doing that? Are we about to do filming? And, and literally the costume lady went, no, nope, just doing it for fun. Just seeing if you'd actually accept me flicking mud on you. Then at the scene of the battle, by the way, sort of halfway through the battle, you get this flurry of snow. Do you know how they did that? It just started snowing, which could have caused problems with the continuity. But Ridley Scott, being the superb director that he is, recognized that he could show this as being sort of like later on in the battle. And so it wouldn't necessarily affect continuity and it looks great because it's real snow in a battle it is an amazing set piece so the thing is we've got one of these guys i know being one of the barbarians and there they are standing there on the edge of the battlefield actually before i do that i'll tell you another story to kick off this battle the roman emissary has his head cut off and they have a prosthetic head and anyway at one point you know standing around in the cold English forest and it's kind of muddy and cold and people aren't allowed to wear lots of kit because that would you know you don't want to accidentally see somebody in an anorak in 180 AD or something so you know to cheer things up they they started playing you know there were some of the Romans some of the barbarian hordes started playing an, an informal game of football and one of the prop guys ran up to Ridley Scott and said you need to stop them doing this and Ridley Scott recognized you need something to keep the morale going going I just let them do it and they went no you don't understand you know that $10,000 prosthetic head that's that's the football and went, oh, okay fine we're stopping we're stopping now stop the football thank you very much <laughs> it does sound a little bit like anarchy but another story by the way I'm getting these from people actually there so I don't think these are on the likes of IMDb or in any official making ofs, etc. So you're getting the juicy exclusives here. Tear up page one, run that instead. But the other thing I absolutely love is that apparently Ridley Scott went up to the barbarians and said, okay, so to kick off the battle, you guys are going to run from the tree line down to the Romans. But a reminder, 
make this look real. I want you to wave your swords around. I want it to look good on camera. But this is still a movie. So when you get to the Roman lines, just sort of like scream and shout and let the stuntmen do their stuff. Don't go too hard into them. It's only a movie after all. He then went down to the Roman line. And again, this guy I know was actually in the Roman line. And apparently he said, right, so the barbarian horde's going to charge down the hill. They're going to stop basically at your shield wall. And he then said, I really want you to lay into them. <laughs> That's how the Romans won all their battles. People should know when they're conquered. Would you, Quintus? Would I? So, look, it was a remarkable piece of engineering. Incredible that this was actually given so much money. It was a huge roll of the dice, a huge risk. But it absolutely paid off. The name of my nephew is Alex. Alex actually turned around to me and said during some of the you know, music going... That really sounds like Pirates of the Caribbean. I went, yeah, I know. Pirates of the Caribbean came out years later. He just reused some of the Gladiator music. So Hans Zimmer is absolutely top of his game on this one. It looks spectacular. Ridley Scott has got the cinematography absolutely superb. Everybody is actually acting with sort of like, the, you know, but obviously they should all be talking in Latin. They're all talking in English and they're talking very much the Shakespearean RP, received pronunciation, which we're kind of all attuned to. That's just how people in olden days talked. It's not historically accurate, but hey, this is a movie that's costing a lot of money. It's got to at least be in English, okay? And it would sound a bit jarring if people had American accents, for example. So everybody's British, apparently, in it. There was a time, because they keep calling him the Spaniard, apparently the very first choice for the gladiator was Antonio Banderas, but he was busy doing something else. My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius. I arrived last week from Spain. So it went to Russell Crowe. So he's referred to as a Spaniard, and he's the most unspanish looking person. And apparently Russell Crowe's going, well, shall, shall I put on a Spanish accent? They went, absolutely not. And now that you can see his broad Greek accent in Thor, Love and Thunder, you can see why they didn't want to distract people with accents. Everybody's basically going to have the same accent. Off we go. Thunderbolt can be anything. Thunderbolt. It's just electricity. And the other thing, which a friend of mine had to point out, and I checked it and it's absolutely true, is again this opening battle scene, the war chanting of the Germanic hordes is literally lifted from the 1960s movie Zulu. It is the Zulu chants that are suddenly integrated onto the Germanic horde. Maybe because it was the only audio they had of a group of warriors sort of chanting. You know, look, thousands of them, which literally they were in, in making of the movie Zulu. So that's weird. Once you hear that, you can't unhear that. But once we get into the actual movie, it's just everything that Hollywood used to get right in the 1950s and 60s, but using modern stunt work and technology. It is an absolute thrill ride and you believe in all these characters i mean if anybody had done it like thor love and thunder like bit tongue-in-cheek a bit winky to the camera it would have fallen to pieces people say they don't make them like they used to they kind of do the other thing worth pointing out is like as i said ridley scott loves to keep returning to history we had literally in 2021 the last duel I request a duel to the death. If you lose, your wife will suffer dire consequences. One of us has lied. 
Let us let God decide. Now, The Last Duel had some big name stars in it, like Ben Affleck and Matt Damon and Jodie Comer as well. So, you know, we've got some big name stars. It's in the medieval era. We've got medieval jousting. It's called The Last Duel, for heaven's sakes. The setup of it is very much Rashomon, and, and what I mean by that is it's the same story told by different people with different perspectives. So great news for the actors. They get to act in different ways in different versions. Sometimes they're very serious. Sometimes they're more jokey. Sometimes they're flirtatious and romantic. Sometimes they're a bit evil and sort of pushy. So it's, it's a really interesting film. Look, is it as good as Gladiator? No. But is the effort put in the same as Gladiator? Yes. It is a four-star film, not five-star. Gladiator is a five-star Oscar-winning sort of piece of cinematic perfection. Last Jewel is just very good. It bombed at the box office. It cost more than 100 million. You know, considerable effort was put into it. 2021, there were still problems with COVID and things like that. It was clearly aimed at an, at an older audience like me, and they were notoriously not going to the cinema in 2021. I noticed that just, I was trying to get to see it in the cinema. It was difficult. In the end, six weeks after its release in the UK, it was on Disney+. And I ended up tweeting out going, why is nobody talking about this? You know, this is a major motion picture that's just being dumped on Disney+, and I can now watch it for free. And I did watch it there, and I felt guilty. It's like, I, you know, I should have spent money. To give you an idea, I think in, this, in overall worldwide, it grossed about 15 million. I mean, it was like barely 10% of its initial outgoings. It was a huge, huge flop. And that's the problem. We need people to go to these sort of historical movies for me, people to keep making these historical movies. You know, The Northman this year was referred to as This Generation's Gladiator. And basically the plot is very similar in the sense of we've got a Viking prince who becomes an outcast, who becomes a Viking warrior, who comes back for revenge. So you can see it is the same basic format, except the tone is completely different. It is not an action spectacle. Although just like Gladiator, everybody is 100% committed to this. Again, any winking to the camera all goes wrong. Everybody is completely wrapped up in this in 100%. I've already done a podcast on that. Please feel free to listen to it. So yeah, these films, sometimes they do hit relatively big. 2022, I've already mentioned it in another podcast on biographies. We had the Elvis movie. There are some who'd make me out to be the villain of this here story. It wasn't a mega hit, but it made its money. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Back. You know, it's not exactly ancient history, but it is history. A lot of people seeing it are either seeing it for their childhood or seeing it because this was a t- I've heard of Elvis. I need to know more about him. So again, Austin Butler, huge respect there for, you know, your amazing performance there. Thank you very much. But you've also got things like Dunkirk by Christopher Nolan, and in 2023, he's got Oppenheimer, which is about the creation of the bomb in World War II. And, and so, yes, historical movies are still being made for relatively big bucks. But it's a lot harder sell nowadays, and more often than not, they end up being extremely well-respected flops, and movie producers aren't in it for flops. So let's talk a little bit now about the history that you're seeing. Again, I was gushing and gushing and gushing about the opening battle. It is an amazing cinematic battle. Did Roman legions fight like that? No. <laughs> it's a simple answer. Now, don't get me wrong. The armor's pretty accurate. The fact that you've got infantry, archers, you've got cavalry, the different groupings, all of that makes sense. You've got the Roman legionaries with the gladius, the famous gladius sword. That was actually Spanish. It was done when the Romans were taking over Spain and they realized it's a really good short sword. Basically, it's sharp on both sides and it's got that kind of point at the end so it can be used as a stabbing as well. It's really versatile weapon. All that stuff's right. But here are some things to just remember. First of all, cinema is visual, first and foremost. And therefore, arrows. Arrows don't look very good in the cinema. Basically, they move very fast. You can't really tell what's going on. An arrow itself is a relatively dark object, and it's going through things like fields and into forests. So you can't really track them. So what you see again and again is people using fire arrows. And indeed, in this movie, you see them using fire arrows. You also see them using various siege weapons, catapults and scorpions and things like that, all using things like Greek fire. Greek fire existed, fire arrows existed, but they just weren't used in an open field of battle. They were used in sieges because what's the point? You have to remember, these people are, in theory, in Germany. They're on the very edges of the empire, shipping over Greek fire would be extremely expensive and dangerous and you know flasks of oil that you're going to set fire to all of this is ridiculous just just use normal arrows arrows kill as well as a flaming arrow you only use flaming arrows to set 
fire to something and you don't need to set fire to human beings if you can just puncture them with arrows. So yes, that's all kind of siege equipment. Don't quite know why this genius general has got that set up for a battle. And also, well, I mean, maybe if he's that good to set it all up that quickly in a battle, well, maybe that's why he's using it. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. All the flames and explosions just would never have been on a Roman battlefield like that. And yet it looks awesome on the screen. And that's the point. I also feel obliged to say with fire arrows, arrows are kind of like the Swiss army knife of ancient armies and medieval armies as well. I've already mentioned when I mentioned Agincourt, armor piercing arrows don't have those triangular heads. They have basically what looks like a six inch nail at the end of them. When it comes to fire arrows, they do have that triangular front and then directly behind the head, it looks like an old fashioned metal whisk. Hopefully you understand what I mean. Almost like a sphere of little strands of metal. Why? Because that's where you would wedge in a little bit of cloth, which you would then douse in some kind of oil and set fire to it. Because just wrapping a piece of linen around an arrow, setting fire to it and then firing it off into the enemy, well, A, that's highly likely to fall off. B, if it doesn't, you've killed the aerodynamics of the arrow and it's only going... I don't know, 50 feet or something. It also is going to make it far less accurate. So actually there were fire arrows. Those, what I've just described is actually more medieval, but there are lots of different types of arrowheads. I would encourage you to do like a Google search for like different types of arrowheads. If you see one that looks like a crescent moon and you're sitting there going, well, how does that work? Don't forget that arrows spin as they're going through the air. So that thing would be spinning and that's an anti-horse, anti-cavalry arrow, which, you know, because of the shape of it, like, say, a crescent moon with the, the, the points of the crescent moon pointing out away from the arrow, that's spinning. And it's almost like a drill head going into a horse. Not nice. Sorry about that. But that gives you, you know, there are lots of different arrowheads for lots of different types of targets and situations. Very clever. Also, if you want to get super geeky, the guy who starts off the very first arrow, he's using a composite bow, which just didn't exist in those days. That was created largely by the Asiatic nomadic horse peoples. Peoples like the Huns, for example, had composite bows, the Mongols most famously. The Romans had short bows, which didn't quite look like that and had much shorter ranges. It's only when, again, you kind of get to the very end of the Roman era with the Asiatic peoples like the Huns, or into the Middle Ages, that you get things like the longbow, crossbow, and composite bow, they've all suddenly got much more range than anything that existed in the ancient world. And we are talking about 180 AD here, give or take. Furthermore, when it comes to the gladiatorial stuff, the super famous scene where Russell Crowe takes off this helmet, which sort of kind of disguises his face, it's covered in spikes, and then he does the famous speech in it, which is just amazing for the record. It just sends a shiver down your spine. My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius, commander of the armies of the North, general of the Felix Legions, loyal servant to the true emperor, Marcus Aurelius, Father to a murdered son, husband to a murdered wife, and I will have my vengeance in this life or the next. That helmet doesn't exist anywhere, any era. Sorry, that's just pure Hollywood. What everybody else is wearing in gladiatorial combat either never existed. Admittedly, the stuff that's happening in North Africa, there's a Mermelo, which is a guy with kind of like a sort of conical, full-faced helm. That is something that a, a Roman gladiator would wear. 
but a lot of the the helmets are just completely made up or particularly when you see Jimon Hansu he's got this helmet with this long spike on the top of it and sort of like that era when we're seeing the helmets of the gladiators in the Colosseum you can just tell that what's happened is that Ridley Scott has been and, and obviously as production designer have just wandered around the British Museum if you know the British Museum you go oh yeah that's in room 27 and oh yeah that's in the whatever bit so those are historically accurate helmets but not from that place or time there's some Anglo-Saxon or Viking era helmets the one that Jimon Hansu is wearing that's arguably Persian from round about the 1600s so that's 1500 years too early look does it matter no this is where I, I give things a bit of a pass this stuff is meant to entertain you know maybe gladiators wore unique helmets that didn't last the time possibly maybe the other thing though is that we get into this sort of debate about should it should Rome be run by senators or should it be run by an emperor that was genuinely a conversation 200 years earlier. Sorry about that. By the time you get to Marcus Aurelius, nobody remembers that the Senate was the thing running the show, if you like. Everyone was used to emperors. Nobody was arguing about should emperors be running the empire. Instead, the argument was which one might want to run the empire. It's an interesting idea, but it's, again, sort of like from the wrong time. But let's come to Marcus Aurelius, if you like. Now, Richard Harris just does a brilliant job of playing Marcus Aurelius. Do you see that map, Maximus? That is the world which I created. He says at one point, how will I be remembered? You know, like the wise, the philosopher, the, the tyrant, etc. Which is basically the ways he's remembered. Marcus Aurelius was seen as quite an aggressive emperor, but this is also a man who was known as being a stoic philosopher and poet as well. How will the world speak my name in years to come? Will I be known as the philosopher, the warrior, the tyrant? Or will I be the emperor who gave Rome back her true self? You should look up some of Marcus Aurelius's, the real guy's, phrases. They're really quite pithy and they work well in the modern world. You kind of like the guys, you read these things, but you've got to remember this was a guy who ran an empire full of slaves and so on and so forth. And if you like, the slavery bit is kind of glossed over. You've got basically Maximus, he's got this sort of kind of Irish slave, although the Romans only briefly set foot in Ireland and never came back. I mean, I guess maybe there were some slaving runs from Roman Britain into to Ireland. I can't prove that one way or the other. But, you know, anyway, he's his servant, but actually he's his slave, a house slave. Yes, I'm aware that there's the sort of Harry Potter house elf, which is kind of, I think, what J.K. Rowling was going for. Master has given Dobby a sock. What? I didn't... Master has presented Dobby with clothes. Dobby is free. There are different levels of slaves, and they don't really go a lot into it, but clearly, if you were working in a household, it was a relatively easy life. It's worth remembering that pretty much every rich Roman child was taught by a Greek professor, a Greek teacher. This was their Greeks were seen as the best ones, if you like, and the irony was they were all slaves. But the thing is, you were meant to give these slaves, you know, if they were something like a teacher, they were meant to get room and board. And they weren't beaten or anything like that. But interestingly, any sort of Roman children who got out of line, this was a slave who could beat 
the senator's child for, for and, and the senator would be pleased with that kind of punishment. So it shows you that today when we say slavery, got to be careful with this. Again, don't want to get cancelled. Look, all slavery is bad. We can all agree that owning people is wrong, right? But there are different levels of this is what I'm trying to say. And when we talk about slavery today, we tend to think of America, 1800s, you know, black slaves in the cotton fields being brutalized. There's just no upside for that. It's awful and terrible. But clearly what I'm saying here is there's a slightly, you know, in Rome, Roman times, yeah, there were some that were, were in the fields and that would be, or indeed rowing the triorems and the ships and the galleys. And they led a short, horrible, brutal life. They were probably prisoners of war who were just instantly used as, in essence, kind of cannon fodder or economic fodder, if you like terrible and awful. If, however, you are the personal assistant to a general in the Roman legions, quite frankly, you've got a very cushy life, and highly likely you will be released at some point from their servitude, but you probably still be working for that person. You know, it's a good job, is what it boils down to. And then you get to gladiators, and Proximo does this big speech. It's a really good speech about how he was a gladiator, and he won his freedom. And the great thing with gladiators, and they do a bit of this, and but it is fascinating that gladiators are the ultimate dichotomy of slaves. These were men, and sometimes women, forced to fight for their lives, to the amusement of crowds. How sick is that? But a gladiator held a special place in society. On the one hand, they were slaves, they were lowest of the low, but there is a line in the movie, and it's absolutely true, high-status women. Gladiators basically were kind of the sex symbols of their time, and so, yeah, literally, like, senators' wives would literally pay to have a night with a gladiator. Because, I don't know, it's like Schwarzenegger in his prime or Dwayne the Rock Johnson. It's sort of like, ah, oh, the physical physique, the bravery, the manliness of it all. Yes, I want to be with that man. And again, I'm not making this up. Gladiator blood and gladiator sweat was put into bottles and sold to basically cure various illnesses, including epilepsy. There's no evidence that any of this stuff worked, but it shows you that these people were highly regarded even though they were slaves. And, and that is a head scratch to a modern human. It just shows you how sort of foreign and alien the ancient history really is to us today, because some of it we can relate to and some of it we really can't. Now, the next thing is I keep mentioning the Colosseum. They call it the Colosseum in the movie, and everybody calls it the Colosseum. And if you've been to Rome, you've been to the Colosseum! Except absolutely everybody in the Roman era called it the Flavian Amphitheatre. It was built with the proceeds in the first century when Titus ended up sacking Jerusalem during this fight with the Jewish peoples. And so, yeah, if you want to talk about problematic, this is a site where thousands of people died. This is a site where Christians were put to death for their religious beliefs. This is a site that was built by plunder of a religious community. Are you not entertained? Again, should we be cancelling the Colosseum? Probably we should, but it's so important to, to society that... And this is the thing, gladiators are cool. They're still cool. Do you feel the power of the gladiators? What do you want to do in that situation? The 
interesting thing is when I went to see the Colosseum, there is now a massive cross there. It's almost like, ha-ha, Christianity won. It's like, why? This thing wasn't built for Christianity. This is a place where Christians died. This isn't sort of like a, a Christian monument. It, you know, and maybe the argument there is it's there to honor all the Christians who died there, but we don't know even 1% of their names. So the thing is that the Colosseum in the Flavian Amphitheater, I'll say it again, the Flavian Amphitheater in the movie is too big. It, look, it is a massive structure, even by modern standards. Amazing to think that it's 2,000 years old, give or take. But it, you know, it's Hollywood, so they make it even bigger. But you'll also see that they've got these sort of weird structures sort of coming out the top of it, which sort of created awnings, which created shade, which we know existed but haven't survived. That shows you the engineering genius, if you like, of the Romans. But let's go back to Marcus Aurelius, shall we? So clearly from what I've just said and the fact that you can read his real writings, he's a real emperor. And his son was Commodus. But here are the differences. So Marcus Aurelius is portrayed pretty accurate to what we know about the man. But there has been so many coups and counter coups, etc., that for a, an emperor to guarantee the descent of his son to become the next emperor really hadn't happened for about a hundred years in the Roman Empire, but Marcus Aurelius made sure of that. So for the last few years of his life, he was co-ruling with Commodus. Commodus did not have to grab power by strangling daddy, okay? That's been made up for movies. But then we get Commodus, and in the, in the movie it's kind of, you know, how long has all this been going on? maybe a year, maybe two. Commodus actually ruled for, you know, give or take a decade. So he lasted quite a long time. But he was killed uh, by f foul means, shall we say. He was actually strangled by a wrestler in his bathhouse. So saying bathroom doesn't quite do it justice. You know, this is obviously Roman time, so Roman bath. So yeah, he, he was strangled. But Commodus was a bit weird and freaky. At one point, he did cover himself in gold leaf and leapt into the gladiatorial combat and fought with people. There are elements of the Commodus in the movie that really existed, and perhaps the, the, the real guy was even creepier than the, than the guy portrayed by Joaquin Phoenix. But, yeah, obviously, like in the movie, we don't know this for a fact, but we would guess there's no way the, the Emperor's going to go in against the best of the best gladiators, so... Either they were up against somebody hobbled or somebody who was weak anyway. But this is a chance to show how awesome he was. Yes, I could be a gladiator as well as being emperor. Hurrah! It's interesting that they didn't use the specific phrase, which goes back to Roman times, about bread and circuses. The idea that you can distract the mob with enough fun and some food. And that genuinely was a strategy in the Roman times. But it's something that sort of exists today. You know, there's this argument about, well, you should be paying attention to the big things. Why are we all watching... Love Island or Disney Plus or or whatever, and it's like, yeah, that that's absolutely valid. It shows you how much how easy it is for a human being to forget the really important things in life. Oh, hang on, there's a pretty thing over there. Well, you see, when I get bored, I make up my own movie. I have a very short attention span. But our point is very simple. You see, when oh look, a bird. <laughs> now, before I finish off with the big hot controversy that's been going on for decades, I'm just going to say this as always. Look, I'm at Jem Deducci on Twitter. Say hello. That would be lovely. Uh, but also, if you haven't clicked subscribe, please do click subscribe. And please, please, it doesn't take long to give us a little review. It helps the algorithm find us and spread the word of this little podcast. Would really appreciate that. 
Thank you. Right, so the controversy. In the movie, they show thumbs up and thumbs down. And in various statues and, and images of gladiatorial combat, the, the, you can see the, the thumb going up and down. The thumb clearly meant something. But of course, there is no moving images and there's no specific description to tell us that thumbs up means live, thumbs down means kill. You know, one thing being the thumb is the weapon, if you like. So thumbs down is like stab him, you know, because it's going down towards the person who's lying on the ground. It is a myth that gladiators always died in combat. Sometimes mercy would be given, or this wasn't a fight to the death. This was a fight to perhaps the first blood, or this was about a show of spectacle, etc. There were lots of different types of gladiatorial games. Interestingly, you know, we talk modern day about death battle, about imaginary this versus that. Well, the gladiators did that themselves, or I should say the Romans did that themselves, because they did get a, an adult male lion to fight an adult male tiger. So in your mind, who would win? Lion king of the beasts or the tiger king of the jungles? And the answer is tiger. They did enough of these lion tiger events to make them realize that tigers win every time. And the reason for that is because, of course, lions hunt in packs, tigers hunt on their own. So one on one, a tiger is just going to tear to pieces uh, even a large lion. And also tigers tend to be slightly larger than lions as well. So there we go on that one. But back to the thumbs. So we just don't know. We don't know for sure whether thumb up means good, thumb down means bad. The thing about the thumbs is... We'll, we'll never know. There's been furious arguments about it, and there's been some very convincing arguments about why it should be one way or the other. But the thing is, it is now stuck in, in just culture, pop culture, that thumb, thumbs up's good. Hey, there's an emoji for so like, yay, thumbs up, yay, great stuff. And so, therefore, if they were to take any kind of variation of that in the movie, it would have just confused the audience. Oh, thumbs down, that's it, that's it for Maximus. It's like, oh no, he lived. So yeah, so they absolutely did the right thing by, by going with popular opinion rather than perhaps the current thinking amongst ancient historians. So I thought I'd leave that with you. Hey, love to get your thoughts on, do you have a, a theory on the thumb thing with gladiators? But yes, fundamentally, if you haven't seen Gladiator for a while, treat yourself this evening. Thanks very much for listening, and as always, another podcast coming soon. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.